The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Originally from Baltimore, Maryland, Aaron J. Myers is a Boston-based composer, guitarist, and teacher. His works have been performed across the United States, and he has been commissioned by the Semiosis Quartet, Transient Canvas, Diagenesis Duo, Chamber Cartel, The Governor's Schools Orchestra, Sharon Leventhal, Emma Resmini, Naked Eye Ensemble, North Star Duo, Box Not Found, L&M Duo, Chaz Aguallo, Stephanie Lampera, and the Peridot Duo, as well as many others. He is a founding member of Equilibrium Ensemble, served as executive director from 2015 to 2018, and is currently its managing director. He was music director for Second Sunday Concert Series. As a guitarist, he has performed many different kinds of music over the past 26 years and is founder of the band Niffin. He has been giving private guitar lessons since 2002 and currently teaches at Denham School of Music Indian Hill Music, Concord Conservatory, and at home. Myers holds a Bachelor of Music and a Master's of Music in Composition from Townsend University and the Boston Conservatory. He studied guitar with Maurice Arenas and Troy King. He studied composition with Dave Ballo, William Kleinsasser, Jan Swafford, and Marty Epstein. He's had additional composition studies with Nicholas Vines and Roger Reynolds. So there was a group, Chamber Cartel, in Atlanta. I met some of the members at Sick Puppy, met Caleb Heron, who was the percussionist before that, and we wrote, a bunch of us when we were in grad school, wrote some music for his duo with Ariana Warren, who's a clarinetist, but then later saw them again at Sick Puppy in like, I don't know, 2014 or something like that. Uh, And we talked and, yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, so they, I wrote a piece for them. Um, I've written several pieces for them, but, um, and then a couple years later, they they asked me to be their, composer in association since I don't live there. Applied for a grant. I got the Kittredge Fund, which is here in Massachusetts. I got a little chunk to help pay for the CD. And of course, this was my first, like, uh, I mean, I had, like, punk albums and stuff, but, like, this is my first, like, as a composer, like, oh, my music, you know. Um, so I set up all the rehearsals and recordings down in Atlanta, which was kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was recorded at 800 West... So I, it was kind of a crazy adventure. <laughs> Flew down there and was there for like two or three days of rehearsals and then intense recording. And then for like six uh, out of seven of the pieces. And then the final piece, which is a lot longer, Wabi Sabi, um, went down another time in November and then like helped 
Alan Tyson who came in. Who So not all of the musicians were necessarily directly part of the group because it's kind of a hodgepodge of folks. Um, but the people who played that piece specifically, Amy O'Dell, who's a fantastic pianist in Atlanta. Um, she also, a few years ago in 2015, commissioned me to write a toy piano piece that's on one of her albums. Um, so that was fun. It was actually kind of hard, like, wow, what do I do with toy piano for five minutes? You know, but it was, <laughs> it was minutes, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> right, it was cool. Silence. Um, There's and, a lot uh, of silence, right? <laughs> a lot, well, actually, yeah, well, um, so. So what was the relationship between the piano and the vibraphone in this piece or, or even the percussion element? How are you envisioning that for this piece? Sure. Well, uh, the, definitely in the kind of the mid-2015s, give or take a few years, uh, I was definitely really experimenting with really close canons. Um, a lot because, I mean, I mean, come on, obviously I'm not going to do it as well as Ligeti, but like it just sounds so cool when it creates this like really cool um, effect. It's hard. It's definitely hard for performers. But so a lot of that material is like either really close to each other, but the same thing or uh, a couple of its chunks, you know, over top of each other. Some of the classic contrapuntal techniques without the tonality, uh, as well as some close, yeah, close canon type things of all of these, but without it being obvious, I would hope, because um, I was definitely thinking of kind of this, I, you know, I love a lot of improvised music too, you know, and I'm an improviser as well, and uh, this like moving kind of texture, but while having this kind of sonic world popping out in these large chords, but then making them not just a chunk of a chord, but creating these kind of bubbly, quasi-improvised sounding uh, textures and, and bursts. Well, I think that's what's what's interesting throughout the piece. And I really, by the way, I know it's piano and percussion, but I really focused on the piano and the vibes and maybe those are the pitch instruments. So I'm just, I don't know, but um, I really focused on their relationship and maybe this wasn't your intention for the piece, but I saw these moments where they were very much in some kind of canonic figure. So was that your intention to kind of have this sort of push and pull and then sort of a arrival point? But yeah, those, that was intentional. Um, and actually, ironically, this maybe is veering from the question a little bit. Uh, the title also connects in the sense that my laptop was stolen, uh, which had all of my handwritten stuff tucked inside of the laptop. Oh. So this piece, yeah, I had to, I like that night went home and like wrote down as much as I could remember and like found a picture we took of the, or I took of the cat like laying on it at one point and was like, <laughs> oh, I can like find the notes that, you know, so I had to rewrite some of it. And so that was kind of like the title also was kind of like that. You might, you know, like, like it was stolen. The piece was like, stolen, but you did but it I'm anyway. But I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Mixed with, with like, I, you know, the program note. So anyway, sure. um, yeah. But yes, those arrival points, the push and the pull of, you know, coming together and then going away from each other, pretty yeah. relentless. Yeah. Um, now, of course, it does have a couple, like you said, arrival points, like the piano, and then kind of like sits for a second. But, uh, but yes, that was definitely intentional. Why did you write this piece? Like, why? Okay, here, here we go. I'm, I'm, here comes shots fired here. Uh, why write uh, a 10-minute piano and percussion piece? 
Well, I mean, that was the instrumentation that I was given. Sure. Like, hey, write a piece yes. for the two so of us. So you were commissioned. Yeah, no, that. really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. write a piece for the two of us. Yeah. Uh, percussion and piano. Okay, cool. Can I use this and this and this? I'll keep the percussion pretty minimal. You know, that's the reason. And then I was like thinking about the pedals and just the... Uh, with piano and how it can really reverberate for a long time. And then obviously vibraphone has a pedal, how they could like the sounds like using these kind of similar, but also definitely very distinctly different sounds to create this kind of weird, uh, that I, at least if I'm remembering back to 2014, when I wrote it, um, <laughs> right. I don't know what you're talking about yeah, way back then. Oh, right. <laughs> but uh, no, but just how you could create like, which wait, which instrument is that at times? And then other times it would definitely be very obvious, you know, when I first heard the title of the album and the, uh, the piece and then the album, I said, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. He said, uh, but I'm doing it anyways. And I put before it, and this is my own baggage, I put before it, no one cares, but I'm doing it anyways. That's what I, right. put, that's what I put on it. And, uh, and that has nothing to do about your music or, or what I thought of you. Right. That was just, that's my own, please, please understand that's, you know, what I'm bringing um, right, because I didn't think about that, actually. No, you didn't. And right. then after reading yeah. the program notes, uh, it's very clear that meant something very different to you. So right. so what did But I'm Doing It Anyways mean to you? I do come from a, a poor working class background, and uh, I didn't have the familial or financial support to go to college. So college wasn't really like didn't seem like an option for me at the time, and I didn't go until later. So that was part of it is like I was living on my own at 18 working 40 to 60 hours a week, playing in punk bands. Like, I knew music was it. I was like, did my punk band, we got to, you know, do this thing. Uh, and we put out an album and all that stuff, but, um, you know, stuff happens. So eventually I started taking serious private lessons for a long time and te then teaching and gradually going to, like, community college on my own, uh, taking some, like, core classes or whatever because I was just, like, you know, I was getting pretty miserable. Like, I need more than this. Like, and I was getting frustrated with my playing as a guitarist. Like, I want to do these things in my head, but I can't because of my skills. So I knew I wanted to write music regardless of style or genre. Uh, so then started undergrad at age 25. Fast forward, I finished undergrad at age 29. I was like, all right, I'm doing this. I got to go. And so I did grad school, and that's why I moved to Boston. So anyway, that has a lot to do with it for me. And then feeling that constant pressure of, like, I didn't grow up around... You know, sure, I heard classical music, my grandfather listened to it, uh, you know, but I did grow up around music, but it wasn't classical music per se, you know, other than like people listening to it on the radio or whatever. And I liked some, and I was certainly on my own, had started really listening to a lot of it along with other stuff very equally, um, like a lot of jazz and, and improv and, you know, Stockhausen as well and all that, just like a bunch of stuff. And equally though, and a lot of world music too, um, just exploring a lot of different stuff and sounds, uh, just listening, you know, and absorbing things. Uh, sometimes feeling the pressure of, oh, well, you don't know all of this stuff already. Oh, well, the kind of the whole yeah. like snobby, yeah. whether it was maybe perhaps, you know, a history teacher in undergrad who was like, when I was studying with Nadia Boulanger, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, cool. Can that we was talk a great about great voice, by the way, too? That <laughs> well, it's like, right, yeah, you're just like, you okay. took me right there. I like know that right. composer, I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although this is a historic, this is a music oh, a historian. Okay, <laughs> I always kind of felt like I was a little behind. You know, partially the age thing, maybe. Which, looking back on it, I was fine. I had other people that age and older who were in school, but feeling that like, oh, well, you're dumb. Basically, nobody said that, but like, 
this kind of, and some of that's my own stuff too, sure. <laughs> right? Sure. Like playing catch up constantly, but also feeling like it was never enough. Or like, why don't you know what the Vespers and the, you know, fr- <laughs> you don't know what Franco Flemish is? Like, wait, what? You know, like music history one, like I almost failed that in undergrad because I was like, I don't know. I'm trying here, but like, I can't tell the difference between this and this. So working, you know, getting familiar with a lot of the music and, and feeling that like uh, expectation to just know stuff already uh, or be familiar with things already. Like I, I'm not an orchestral musician also, so I didn't grow up playing that in high school, which that's I think how a lot of people get familiar with a lot of that music too is by playing it in orchestra or whatever. Um, I'm a guitarist. We play either by ourselves or in bands, you know. <laughs> yeah. like, so uh, anyway, so then the but I'm doing anyway was kind of like, I'm not going to let you get me down, like, you know, because life, yeah. life itself, non-music stuff has been, uh, you know, for everyone has its tumultuous times, and I've certainly had plenty of mine, uh, sure. but it was kind of me, essentially in some ways, not flipping the middle finger, but flipping the middle finger uh, <laughs> abstractly to, uh, you know, the life going like this, and things in life, and people, and everything, um, if that makes sense, and like, I'm putting out this album, I'm making this music, I think people don't really understand what a, a bold move it is to put out an album. And because I think today, right, right. I think the idea of putting out an album now is if you can, you know, for very cheaply, you can get it somewhere on Spotify, you can get it here or there and you can put it out. But putting out an album, and at least for me, is is always a statement. It's always sort of a middle finger to uh, <laughs> to all the right. things that got in your way. And uh, yeah, maybe a middle finger is not the right word, but it's just it's in pro- it's in protest to w- a, th- all- a thumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a, no- a thumb on the nose. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Just that's the vibe that I got from your statement. I put my own stuff on it, saying you know, but no, no one cares. But I'm doing it anyways. Instead, you were saying all these things have gotten in my way, but I'm doing you know, but I'm doing it anyways. You know, like no one's listening, no one cares. Does the medium matter? Is it long enough? Is it good enough? Do I know enough about music to actually be writing music? I think that's one you mentioned. <laughs> wow, I might right. add that to the list. Do I really know sure, enough yeah. about this to be actually doing this? Right? Yeah. Right. So, what were some of the creative cogitations that resonated with you? Well, okay, I'll say 1.1. This is probably a fast and easy one. Uh, is being creative a primal urge? Right? That was the question. And my answer yes, absolutely. I mean, Definitely. I would actually say it's a need. Like if I don't, if I don't get to like make some stuff, I get kind of cranky. <laughs> yeah. And do you find how many, uh, how many days can you go without creating something before you, all of a sudden you feel sort of, I don't know, like you haven't had enough caffeine or something <laughs> like there's something missing. It is. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Like I haven't had my coffee, like you're yeah. cranky. Um, yeah. And as an avid coffee drinker, uh, I don't know if I have a number, a specific number, but definitely it's not a long period of time. Um, especially if I've already started working on something or, or like something new that I really want to like start working on. And I just, 
my teaching schedule, this whole online thing was like, ah, crazy. You know, I had to like eat like so many, I just suddenly became also my administrative assistant, you know, right. like a full-time administrative assistant, which I was doing before, you know, with emailing and stuff. But like, so it definitely made it more difficult, but it also made me a little crankier about it. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so probably I would say, I don't know, a week-ish, give or take. Yeah, because I start getting, and I, sometimes it creeps up on me and I don't realize that part of the reason I'm in like a, like not a good mood I mean, of course, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and our country right now that is much more pressing and also uh, causing a lot of, you know, stress and, uh, you know, thoughts, (laughs) uh, to say the least, and actions and and, uh, that are important. That aside, on a regular, like, just, you know, over the years, uh, yeah, roughly a week or so if I I don't really get to make some stuff. (laughs) I've even noticed, too, if there's a deadline associated with the creative process, then I'll start to have dreams, like unpleasant dreams about showing up to the gig without the score being written. And somehow, you know, it's about like, just being like, oh yeah, guys, it's all written down. And I'm like working on the right. score in the wing, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I find... That's like the, the, yeah, no pants dream when you're a kid or whatever. Yeah, like that's at like school, the... Like, where are my pants? The composer you know, equivalent is that really you forgot to write the score. Like you booked right. the venue, <laughs> you've got the engineer there, you've got an audience coming in an hour, but you forgot to write the music. Yeah. Just to finish up that one, I mean, I personally don't believe in an afterlife. So like this, to me, this is like my one shot to like, I got to make as much art as I can, you know, because I'm not going to be here for long. Well, let's let's back up. Let's back up on that. So sure. the idea is not only is it a need for your sort of day to day well being, but the idea is that you see this whole process as a very finite thing. I don't know if I, you know, that's interesting. I I think I I worry about slightly different things. Um, I also, and it's maybe just my personality, like I. I, I'm going to make some sort of music regardless. Like I have thought lots of like, is anyone going to be interested in even playing my music or commissioning me, you know, in the near future? Um, if not, I still myself, I have the tools to play an instrument and record some stuff and make things. That'll be a different process, which we're do- I'm doing right now with some other folks anyway. Um, but I will, ha- I have to like, I have to make some stuff. That's how I feel. And I feel I feel fortunate to have that feeling because I know there are plenty of people who don't maybe – there's a spectrum, of course, and everyone's different. Um, but since I was a teenager, like, even though it was, like, super fast, snarky, hardcore punk and thrash, like, I I knew that music was what I wanted to do and I had to do, like, inside, like, this is, w- this is what I need to do. Um, you know, and, of course, that matured and grow, uh, grew and, and changed a bit, but mm-hmm. – I, but not really at the same time. <laughs> I think, though, it is it is a double-edged sword. I think it's this need and it's this thing that I have to do. But then I also remind myself, too, like, it's something that I have to do. So especially in a time like now when I know we're we're doing all these other things to sort of mediate our lives through Zoom and other things, I have music to do. I have something to be working on. You know, it kind of right. keeps me off the streets. It keeps me, uh, it keeps <laughs> me indoors uh, fi- yeah. figuratively <clears throat> and literally. Uh, because I have something to do. I have something I need to finish. I have I have a deadline. Right. That had me thinking about most composers are affluent and have some type of resource or have some type of money so that they just have time to compose. I mean, there's the classic stories about young composers who, you know, were royalty and had orchestras that they could practice learning orchestration with. Um, or if, you know, you had a conductor as a, as a parent, you know, you'd be sitting there during, you know, um, you know, different uh, rehearsals and being hearing how the different instruments relate. Or, you know, if your a parent was a choir leader, you would, you know, sit there for the performances. 
So being creative to you, is that a privilege similar to living in a nice neighborhood, having expensive clothes and housing? Is it, is it a privilege of the affluent to be creative? I don't think so because I think, uh, no, <laughs> I no. mean, so I think there are a lot of, so there are a lot of those, um, I'm sure you've heard or run into or heard of people's experiences with, there are definitely those kind of like super rich composers who pay orchestras to record their, to me, often kind of bland and blandly pretty music, but, um, you know, because they can. I would say, though, the underground, non-academic, experimental music has been going on for a long time as well, with very little means and with whatever was available. And, you know, going even further, you know, just cultures in general, like, poor people have always needed to make art in some way or another, whether it was doing little drawings on some cool pottery they made or, you know, finding this thing that sounds cool and then making making it work and making something out of it, you know. So I would say, I would say to create, that could cover a lot of things. I would say that's honestly a human, in human nature to want to create something. Now, obviously there are people out there who don't, have a creative bone in their body and that's fine but like uh that seems rare though there are still people even if it's cooking or something they're like oh i want to make this thing and try this thing i want to experiment you know whether it's like on a small level in their lives that it's just a little thing or whether it's obviously for say a composer or a visual artist or whatever or a chef a master chef right like their main like this is i have to create these things but it can manifest in different ways that creativity it can even be you know i have a neighbor that just you know meticulous like landscaping uh that he performs at his right. home and yeah. at first i'm like oh my god he's out there doing this again um but the the amount of care and the focus and the different <laughs> right. equipment and tools he's using yeah, right. i often think about you know maybe how you and i are sort of uh toiling away on a piece of music and we're just like <laughs> okay we've got to come back to it we've got to leave it and come back and we have to rework it and we have to think about it i need i need to step away from it I watched the neighbor doing this as well. So I'm like, okay, so his composition is his backyard. Right. And, and it, like you said, it manifests in cooking. It's different things. So I guess you're saying even somebody who's working, I guess I was equating to somebody who's working three jobs so that they're not quote unquote starving. Right. Um, do they really have time to be creative? Well, <laughs> so I've been that person working three jobs, sure. you know, and I've, mm-hmm. uh, it does make it hard because you're exhausted. I mean, you're just totally exhausted. So I guess it also depends. I mean, it's more complicated than that in the sense that if that person who's working three jobs wants to be creative or has creative ideas and needs feels the need to do that, so that, that needs to be there, obviously, for them to try to make time regardless of whether they have three jobs or, or no jobs. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine having no jobs. But, <laughs> but yeah, it makes it really difficult when you're just like brain is oozing out of your ear and you just you know come home and want to sleep. Because you've been working constantly. Um, So I think it really, it just, yeah, it depends. So it it will affect it to a point, obviously. Um, And I certainly know people that get frustrated because they have to work uh, as much as they do. Now, they're not frustrated they have to work, but they're frustrated that they have to work as much as they do just to get by because everything is so freaking expensive. Um, I mean, I feel that way. Like, oh, I'm teaching so much, you know, but it's like, well, got to eat, got to pay the bills, you know, but um, 
And I'm like, I just want some time to like focus. So yeah, I mean, I feel it definitely even affecting certainly me more sometimes than others of like not having enough time on the, on the flip side. It, it definitely keeps that urge to do it f- fresh. Cause there, like if you, if I just had like nothing to do all the time, but compose, like, what am I going to be inspired by? You know, like, well, what am I almost I, wonder if I wouldn't do it at all. If I just had <laughs> a, a endless time to write music, I just wouldn't end up doing it because there'd be no right. pressure to sort of get something done or right, get it exactly. out. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's nuanced and complicated for, if that makes sense, but <laughs> yeah. So, but but I love this now. So despite all that, so despite all the other things that we have to do in our lives, and then just all the things in our own head that are telling us we can't do it, or maybe sure. we don't know enough to do it, um, we're still, you know, like you said. But I'm doing it anyways. You're still doing it anyways, and I, right. I think uh, that's really empowering. And um, it's a great album. Um, do you want to say anything Thanks. about where people can listen to the album or listen to any of your new music? Oh sure. I mean, if uh, there are links to videos and the album and SoundCloud and all kinds of stuff uh, on my website, AaronJMyers.com, right? Uh, <laughs> the movie voice, uh, yeah. right? Or my album's on Bandcamp. Uh, you can listen to it online. I do still have a bunch of CDs. I know CDs aren't don't seem to be the main thing that people use anymore. I'm maybe I'm old school, probably. But yeah, you can download it. You can order stuff, whatever. So. Thanks to Aaron J. Myers for his opinions, his honesty, and his music. This has been The Process, a podcast about music and creativity. Please make sure to subscribe, like us, and follow us on your chosen podcasting app. Also, check out Aaron J. Myers' But I'm Doing It Anyways album, available on CD and at his website.